industry under pressure, innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. All right. All right, folks. Excuse me while I uh, finish shooing that piece of uh, banana salt water taffy. Uh, to be honest, I didn't really think about that I was still chewing it once the, uh, once the, uh, the recording started rolling here. Um, and uh, I have to say, it, it tastes remarkably like banana. Like, I mean, I know it's supposed to taste like banana, but, you know, usually banana candy is um, not, ne- you know, fruit-flavored candies don't necessarily taste like the fruit. But this really tastes like banana. And it, it is, of course, from the uh, <laughs> the famous candy shop on Galveston Island, uh, which, you know, I can never remember the name of that place, but it's in the Strand. So if you're, if you're in, in, from Houston, you know, you've been to Galveston, you go to the Strand, and there's this famous old-time candy shop and uh you can and if you're there at the right time you can actually see them pulling the saltwater taffy it's quite a show um anyway it's excellent and uh needless to say that is where mrs o'sullivan and i spent uh this past sunday afternoon there on the beach it was fantastic for those of you who think that galveston waters are always brown you just don't go there enough you got to be there when the wind has been blowing in the right direction and uh and the wind holds all the water back up in trinity bay where the trinity river dumps all that mud out and uh it was beautiful the water was beautiful water is beautiful this week so um now let's see now what you just missed here folks is uh faithful listeners hold on i'm still getting arranged here um what you just missed moments ago here in the studio is uh, I'm just about to, you know just about to get started and I knocked over an entire cup of coffee right here right here on the on the table and um, it's not a, now um, you know I, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to a cup of coffee to me is a is a is a six ounce cup of coffee. So it's not like for those of you who drink gallon size, like Super Bowl cups of coffee. If you were to knock one of those over, it's game over. Like you're not recovering from that. But this this wasn't too bad. Uh, although it did create some commotion, uh, and uh, fortunately there was a large towel nearby, so everything is back to normal more or less here. Now uh, behind my regular size cup of coffee, there is a rather large cup, and. Um, I'm going to be honest, uh, and the folks at Red Am, I, you know, if you're listening to this, don't hate me, but I would never drink co- coffee out of this cup. I would do a lot of things with this cup. I'd, you know, I'd take pictures of it and show it to my friends and relations, and uh, I, I might even put a plant in it. Uh, I could eat, eat soup out of it, but it's just, it's just very, it's just very large, um, and it does, and it says Red M on it. And for those of you who, um, who are, who uh, <laughs> if you haven't been paying attention to OGGN at all ever, then uh, you might not know that we do uh, we do support as much as we can uh, the organization called Red M, 
and uh, which is a, a fantastic group. They're growing. They've got operations all over the world now, and um, and it's all headed up by a team here in Houston that are friends of OGGN. And Red M is all about um, fighting against sex trafficking, and they do it in a lot of really interesting and effective ways. So uh, Red M the Movement, I believe, is the website. If you just just Google Red M, or you know, you don't necessarily have to use Google. There are other search engines available. Look up Red M the Movement. You'll find the website. If you're in Houston. If you're in Houston, then uh, you can always come to our uh, to the OGGN industry mixers on the typically typically on the last Thursday of every month. We did just have one last week. Uh, it was fantastic. It was great. It was it was great. Um, uh, for those of you who did in here in Houston who did not come to the mixer, and there are many of you who did not come, uh, apparently it had something to do with this large thunderstorm that was passing through the center of town right at that particular time. And suffice to say, it rained on the Technip FMC launch party for their new product offering, which is called E-Mission for their surface, uh, for the, for the surface world. E-Mission, you can learn about that on the Technip FMC website. And I should mention right here that Technip FMC is the sponsor of this very episode of the Oil and Gas Tech Show. Uh, great friends of OGGM. We've done things with them for a long time and uh, and they're, they're doing um, they're doing fantastic stuff over there. Uh, if, you, if you think about Technip FMC as um, you know like the catalog for wellheads and things like that, um, think again because they have got some incredible technology innovation going on and uh, E-Mission is just the latest entry. So uh, just, uh, you know, just, uh, you know how to find things on the internet. Right? Te- go to your search engine, Technique FMC, E-Mission, done. You'll find it. You'll learn all about it. All right. Now, back to the part about the mixer. Now, the weather wasn't great for trying to get across town because you want to go to a thing. But we actually had a great party, and um, and the Red M folks were there. And and I got, and I got in spite of us, all the work that we've done with Red M, I've, I've never gotten the cup. Um just never got the, the coffee mug and and there's a whole thing you know where you you get the coffee mug so you can do you can go online you can you can donate a little bit of money and you get the mug and then you go on linkedin every monday and you post a picture of of you and your mug it's i forget what they call it exactly it's like mug mug monday or something like that but you'll see if you follow the folks anybody's got anything to do with red m you'll see them posting pictures with their red m coffee mugs on monday now um so i finally got a cup last thursday and uh I forgot. I forgot. Um, I forgot to on Monday. I forgot to yesterday. Right now, for me, it's Tuesday, um, and um, I, I forgot. I forgot yesterday. To post my and and here's the thing though. My cup has already my mug, my coffee mug, has already suffered um, an unfortunate accident. It, I, I don't think I had it. I was not. It wasn't in my possession for 24 hours, and I managed to drop it and um, uh, and do substantial damage to the, to the mug. I have, I have patched it up the best I could. Um, it's got, it now has, has some band-aids on it and things like that. And, uh, you know, we're hoping for the best. So, uh, the, the, the my, my mug is recovering. So hopefully next week I'll, um, I'll remember on Monday to put a, to put a photo out there on LinkedIn for Red M and, um, and, uh, you know, maybe the, Maybe it'll be better. I mean, it's it's still looking pretty rough. I'm not going to lie. All right. What do we have today? Today, uh, well, here's what we don't have today. We don't have a guest. Don't, don't, don't turn it off yet. Don't turn it off yet. Don't, don't change the channel. Um, 
I do have some good stuff to talk to you about. Uh, and uh, obviously, or else I wouldn't have turned on the microphone. Now, um, there's a couple of things. Well, one was one was the whole bit about Red M. I wanted to, I uh, uh, haven't talked about them for a little while, so I wanted to do that. Also, this is just a little side tidbit, but uh, I have an article here. Let's see, where is this from? Well, it's it's it was published by one of the uh, one of the news agencies, but let's give credit where credit is due. Thomson Reuters. This is originally a Thomson Reuters article, and and it was I think it's from this morning. Yeah, yeah, this morning, August second, Tuesday, August second, and the headline says, "U.S. shale producers focus on returns at expense of production." Now. Um, now there are those that, well, first of all, I, I want to say that, um, I predicted this would happen, uh, or I predicted that it was happening. Um, and, um, and I, you know, I hate when they write the, I hate when they write the, the, um, they write the headlines like this. First of all, this headline says U S shale producers focus on returns, which sounds like making money. At the expense, at the expense of production. So, and we know, we know from what we hear in the news right now that a lack of production is what's keeping our gasoline prices so high, or petrol prices, uh, for those of you, uh, you know, uh, in other places, whatever you call it, the prices are high. Here in the U.S., prices are high. Not as high as they were a few weeks ago, but they're still high. Um, but but if you but some insider baseball folks it's not the production it's the it's the refining well that's part of it but the refining we have an issue with refining capacity here and uh nobody's built a in fact uh, mike worth the ceo of chevron was just talking about this in some at some event recently you know nobody has built it's well known we haven't built a refinery here in 50 years and not one of with any real capacity and um and nobody, nobody's gonna, nobody's. This is what he was saying. Nobody's gonna, nobody is gonna lay out ten billion dollars to build a new refinery in the current climate, where uh, people aren't being encouraged really to do such things. And you know, the 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 ROI to investors on that is really far out. Like it's like a decade or decades, or I don't know. It's out there, right? So um, the old, uh, the old, you know. Now, this is going to go back in time for some of you, but the old, uh, I'll pay you, uh, what was it, Wimpy on Popeye? You say, I'll, I'll gladly pay you on Tuesday for a hamburger today. Uh, this is like, I'll gladly pay your children for for a refinery today. Your children, like when they're, or your grandchildren, or some point in the future, you're going to get that. You're going to get that money. Nobody wants to build a refinery because of that. And of course, um, oh, by the way, by the way, we shut some of them down <laughs> because we're so anxious to transition. And, uh, and I'm, not, I'm not saying it's, it's uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not calling that one way or another, but I'm saying that the fact is that we have less refining capacity and we have a little bit of trouble moving this stuff around the country because, um, of various projects that were canceled and uh, also because of some weird laws about which boats are allowed to land where and, and under various circumstances. So anyway, anyway, um, that was a little bit of a tangent, but the point is here, U.S., this, this, this headline, U.S. shale producers focus on returns at the expense of production. So the way this is written, it sounds like um, 
at the expense of always kind of implies there's something good and you're deciding to do this other thing at the expense of that. Like nobody ever says at the expense of something bad. It's always at the expense of something good. Um, and so, so while it's, I mean, it's factually accurate. They are saying they're choosing returns over, over production. And by returns, we mean financial returns, right? We're talking about, um, you know, Things like uh, free cash flow and uh, returning value to stockholders. Oh, and here we and here's the part that's left out, because because what the what these producers are really doing is they are responding to the rather serious hand slap head smack that they got um, a few years back when they were prioritizing production over fiscal discipline and. Investors got real upset with that, uh, and the street was not happy, obviously. And, um, and so there was quite a lot of criticism thrown in the way of U.S. shale producers who were um, – and, and, uh, and the, banks were, the banks were upset with them, and everybody was screaming about, about uh, you know, lack of fiscal – uh, discipline, financial discipline, lack, you know, uh, even though they, so they were producing, you know, prices were good. This is before 2014, obviously. Um, and prices were up, uh, production was going, uh, gangbusters. And, um, I don't know, is that, can you still say that? Can you still say gangbusters? I think that's okay. And, um, um, and instead, they just kept like leveraging further, <laughs> further leveraging their balance sheets. You know, more debt to drive more operations. Da da da. Okay, so we learned our lesson, and and we said next time the prices come back, which they have. You've all noticed that I know. Next time the prices come back, we're not going to make that mistake again. We are going to prioritize. We're going to maintain our, our financial disciplines, our fiscal responsibility to our shareholders. We're going to increase uh, free cash flow. By the way, we're going to do focus on debt reduction, which is something else that they're, they're focused on right now. Um, because of all that debt that we amassed, uh, not only during the time when you're not supposed to be <laughs> increasing debt, but also during the downturn. You know, there was a little bit of a downturn here in the last couple of years. And um, um, so they're focused on all the right financial things. And they're saying we're going to do that instead of just drilling more holes in the ground and produce, 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 which is what we got in trouble for last time. And what do they get? Well, what do they get for their efforts? U.S. shale producers focus on returns at the expense of production, which sounds kind of like they want, you know, so because they want to keep their money, they are keeping the rest of us having to deal with these high gasoline prices, which apparently we don't like. So, um, that's just the headline. Now the rest of the article is actually is actually fine, but it just it bugs me. You know, you gotta you gotta watch the the way these. It's not really spin. It's just it's just you know you put thing you use certain words and you put things in a certain light and it kind of leads people not necessarily to draw conclusions but just kind of kind of an emotional predisposition. Is that what I'm trying to say? Um, all right. Anyway, here's the part that I predicted, which is that. And it explains, this, this article explains that uh, U.S. shale producers say they remain laser-focused on shareholder returns, limiting production expenditures largely to offset higher costs for equipment supplies. So the, so the only increase in spending that they're doing is just what, what's coming because of, of increasing costs for what they're already doing. 
Um, the decision likely will hold down oil output increases. So not it's not reducing output, but it's holding down. In, so it's you know not increasing output, while benefiting shareholders receiving higher payouts or dividends and share repurchases. There's a lot a lot of share repurchase programs going on right now. And uh, Devon Energy this week raised its capital spending budget about six percent. Uh, in part due to inflationary pressures, it's got a, sh- a share buyback authorization in place, and then he gives they give some examples here about what Devin's doing, what Diamondback Energy is doing, and um, uh, Diamondback is expecting to return sixty three percent of its free cash flow to shareholders. Now this is great. This is um, the you know the 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 responsibility toward your shareholders. That's what that's. That's what all companies are supposed to do, right? And that, uh, and it's good for the economy, uh, and it's good for and and you know shareholders. Shareholders in oil companies are not just you know super rich people who don't need the money anyway. Lots of people hold hold people's people's IRAs and four hundred one ks and whatnot. Uh, probably have mutual funds that hold shares. I mean, um, it, it's it's good. It's good for them to be doing this. And I predicted this because. Um, because, you know, I work with a lot of tech folks. Obviously, this is the, by the way, welcome to the Oil & Gas Tech Podcast right here on the Oil & Gas Global Network. Um, you know, the whole thing, you know, biggest, largest, listen to, everything like that. Um, and, uh, and so obviously I talked to, I talked to a lot of people in tech and one of the things that people, so if you're out there and you're selling technology to the oil and gas industry or trying to sell it, um, uh, or you know any kind of technology offerings, products, services, etc. Um, particularly the digital kind of tech, because remember, it's not all not all oil and gas tech is is the computer kind. But um, as we learned a couple of weeks ago with uh, with our friends over there at Delta Tech. Um, but if you're out there trying to sell it, you might have been. You know, of course, when the market's down, <laughs> it's kind of tough to uh, nobody's spending any money. Um, you've heard me joke about, uh, 2015 was the year of drinking lunches. I mean, you just, there wasn't any business to be done and, uh, and we all hate those times. And then we look forward to, Oh, well, here comes the price of oil and it's rallying and all right, we're going to get, you know, people are going to get money back in their budgets and they're going to be able to spend money on things that I can provide them. Um, in good faith, of course, we're, we're trying to help the industry and we're trying to, we're trying to do good things, but you got to have money in your budget. And, uh, and so we get very excited. And what I said this time was that, well, I saw, I told some folks, some friends who were in those types of jobs. And I said, well, I wouldn't get too excited because I don't think it's going to be the wild west where all of a sudden budgets open up and people start buying and spending. I think there's going to be a lot of careful, uh, careful discipline and very, a very moderate approach, even though digital transformation is very, uh, it's still in, it's still in the limelight and it is still critical. You know, you'll hear people, um, you'll hear, uh, oil, uh, executives talk about, and you can read it. You can see it in the annual reports. It's still in the annual reports. When you go and you look and you say, yeah, digital transformation is the key to a whole bunch of, business objectives that we have now, uh, not the least of which being this ESG business, which I'm going to get to in just a minute, uh, as it relates to technology, but, um, you'll hear people say this and, um, uh, so, so the, the, there's still, um, 
you know, money's being spent. And these initiatives are carrying on and they're doing great things. Um, but, but it's not, it's not, the floodgates are not opening. And, and this is what I told my friends. I said, I, I wouldn't get too excited. I think you're still going to have to work pretty hard for those sales because, uh, because operators need to be, and service companies need to be really careful, um, because the, the, uh, because they got their hands slapped, head smacked, whatever it was. And, uh, and they learn the lesson and you're going to see that fiscal discipline, uh, persist even in the face of high prices, which is exactly what we are seeing. Now, I wasn't the only person to, to, uh, to say that this is what would happen, but I did say it. And it was the advice that I gave some of my, uh, some of my friends who were selling into that, uh, into that space, as they say in that space, um, uh, corporate jargon cracks me up sometimes. All right. What what else? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. So I mentioned that ESG thing. All right, now now here's I don't know if this is the main thing. Is this, is this the main thing? This is like this. It's the second thing anyway. Uh, well, I guess it's really it's the third thing. Well, if you count the banana taffy, it's the fourth thing. Anyway, um, I was at a, a little event a couple of weeks ago, and um, I want to share this with you, my faithful listeners, and more importantly, I want to ask for your opinion. Um, and uh, which you can give me uh, anytime, really. You can always give me your opinion. Just send an email to michael at OGGN.com, uh, and I'll probably see it, and uh, I'll probably answer it. And, uh, and if you have a good idea, maybe we'll do it. But, uh, but in this case, I, I want to know, because I, I'm going fi- to be straight with you, uh, faithful listeners. I did not make a lot of friends on this, pat- <laughs> this particular day. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know that I made any enemies. I mean, I haven't seen any cars tailing me. I don't, I don't think, but, um, but I didn't make any friends. And because here's what happened. I was at kind of this round table event here in Houston at the petroleum club, the beautiful petroleum club in downtown Houston. And although I, I like the old one better with the dark wood, but anyway, that's another subject. Um, and so I was at at this little event. It's like, yeah, it's like 20 people. And, um, and it's kind of one of these uh, roundtable think tank kinds of things. And um, and it was about carbon. And because what isn't about carbon these days? Uh, and and I guess the, the best way to sum it up was we were supposed to spend an hour and a half with lunch and whatnot. Um, thinking through the challenges that energy companies right now are facing, uh, inclu- included in energy companies is, is, is oil companies, but um, in, in this context, in this context, I mean, we're supposed to think through the challenges and kind of what, what progress has been made so far and what do we still need to do and come up with some sort of a framework. I think that's what they said, framework or a, a model, like an operating model. I don't know, something, um, something advisory uh, now I'm not sure who this was going <laughs> to, who, who they're shopping this to. Um, and I'm not sure they got anything out of the event that they could, it's, that's shoppable, but, um, so there was a lot of, a lot of going around the room and, and, uh, and at one point I, I made this statement, uh, and I was kind of the only person coming from, uh, there were some other people, there was a lot of people from different, from renewables and there's about 20 people. So there were some people from, from that and some, just some kind of ESG type, uh, you know, ESG service, you know, people who provide 
services in that regard. But to be honest, I'm not really sure what they do. And uh, and there were some other people from um, a couple of consulting companies, and and I was the only person I, I think, or or at least the only outspoken person who really was coming from a like a traditional oil and gas, not so much broader energy, a traditional oil and gas um, technology. Um, perspective. And, um, and so I said, you know, uh, the, oh, that we were talking about what are the, what's the, what are, what are the challenges that, you know, CEOs and companies are facing and trying to reduce their emissions and their carbon footprint and blah, 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 all the ESG goals that they have to attain. And my observation was, I said, look, I, and people were a little surprised at this. I said, you know, the decarbonizing isn't really the hard part, at least not in the minds of people who are leading oil and gas companies. We, we kind of know how to do that. I mean, you know, we've been injecting CO2 back into the ground for, for decades. And we have these new innovations like emission to help reduce flaring and a bunch of other things that, that we're learning how to do. So I said to these folks, you know, I talk to people about this frequently on the podcast. Um, it's obviously in the limelight. And, um, and what I'm hearing is it's not the decarbonization of the operations, the actual operations, that's, that's, the, that's the hard part. The hard part is um, all of the data collection and the measuring and the reporting requirements and all, like, all of that that's necessary to support the ESG reporting and the regulatory and all of that. Like That's the part that's really onerous. Now we're getting better. And uh, and we're working at it. We got some great tech that's tackling tech that's tackling the problem. But but this is the hard part, is what I said. And they were like, huh, hmm. you know, uh, okay. And kind of like it hadn't really occurred to some people that this thing you're asking us to do is not this this like this accountability component of this it's not that we don't want to be accountable it's that it's really difficult it's really hard and and i don't think everybody quite gets that anyway conversation went on and it was a nicey nice conversation all around the table for quite a while an hour or so um and they got into kind of this like yeah creating a framework for companies um and to to kind of guide in their their initiatives relative to these esg goals and um, and I made the suggestion. Now, this is the part that I want your I want your feedback on um, because I think this is a a valid point and it's a legitimate question. Um, and uh, well, the first thing is is that I, I asked the question. I said, so as you guys who are more actively involved in these things than I am, and I said I haven't heard this. But maybe I'm just not hanging out in the right circles. So as you're creating these um, these frameworks, these and all with all these objectives and and plans and targets and everything for hitting reducing emissions and you know the whole bit, right? I said I asked, is there any provision there? Are, do you have anything built into that like methodology for um, m- for measuring the impact of our efforts on the climate? And determining whether we're having the desired effect. And um, uh, because it reminds me, and I use this example, and there was one guy from, uh, I think he was from E&Y or PwC or something. Anyway, he got, he, got a, he got a kick out of this one. I said, it reminds me of back in my consulting days. Now, those of you, <laughs> I'm sure that more than one of you is going to know exactly what I'm talking about here. Um, back in my consulting days. We'd be, you know, scoping out a project for a client, you know, and you're, or you're proposing a project or, you know, whatever, you know, and, 
And there was an, just the amount of effort sometimes that went into this thing called a cost-benefit analysis or a ROI study, right? The, the, the amount of work that went into figuring out what the ROI was going to be on this project. Now, for those of you uh, um, who, who aren't uh, the uninitiated, that's return on investment, right? So we're going to spend this much. So what's it going to, what, what kind of money does it bring us either in terms of, you know, new money or saved money or whatever. And, uh, and there was a huge amounts of work that went into these ROI studies, all with the objective of um, determining whether this project was going to get green-lighted or not, or whether we were going to do it, or whether it was worthwhile. And that was a big part of the decision, the ROI study. And a lot of effort would go into it. And what, what, almost, never, <laughs> what almost never happened was I almost never saw anybody go back afterward and figure out whether the the anticipated ROI is what actually occurred over the next and you know it takes time you, you don't it doesn't happen six months later sometimes it's sometimes it's a year out or two years out or three years out but I never saw anybody really reconciling the ROI and 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 so my um, which is just kind of human nature I guess. And, and a lot of times these projects they they sometimes these projects are shapeshifters right and the project changes as it goes along and it kind of takes goes in different directions and it ends up becoming almost impossible to try to figure out you know um, keep the, keep this in mind by the way those of you um, who are both selling planning delivering uh, technology projects um, the more your project uh, pivots, which is, you know, uh, the new word, I guess, the more it pivots, the less likely you are, you're going to be to be able to go back and figure out whether you actually did what you said you were going to do. But, um, so I said, this is what I kind of see happening with the, the CSG. Like we're spending all this money on technology for, you know, gathering the data. I mean, it's a, it's a big data problem. I mean, it, it, to some degree, it's a big data problem, but it's a big problem for the data. And because once again, we're back to talking about silos and all the things that, you know, silos and and data formats that aren't compatible. And, you know, so so, you know, we, we talk about on the show, you're all out there dealing with this. It's the technology difficulties are substantial. And when it comes to reporting and all this stuff we got to do for ESG and um, and I said, and I, I kind of well, this is what I so to my consulting example, it's like, well. I, I kind of see that happening now, which is we're doing all this work saying, because keep in mind that re- reducing emissions is not an end game. It's really not an end game. I mean, we talk about it like it is because um, maybe, you know, it's a proxy for the end game. But the real end game is, well, the climate's getting warmer and we don't like it, right? So um, now... There's a whole other train of thought on this. And somebody actually brought this up in the meeting. Some of the people that have written papers and books and things on the true cost-benefit analysis of the earth getting warmer. And like, here's all the bad things that result. But then there's some good things that result. And when you net that out, is it overall good or bad for humanity? I'm not going to weigh in on that right now because number one, I don't have the credentials. And uh, number two, I don't want to make even more people mad <laughs> than I already have. But uh, And truly, I don't know. But, but, but there are some people who have differing opinions opinions, uh, you know, for example, like a warmer climate means is a greening of the earth and plants like the CO2 and, you know, that extends growing seasons. And I, you know, I don't know, there's, you can make, there's arguments about, somebody did bring that up in the meeting and they made even less, fewer, they made fewer friends than I did. But, um, um, but my point, what was my point? Okay. The ROI thing, 
you know, we're doing all this. The end game is we want to impact what's happening with the climate. So if we, uh, if we're doing all these things and, and, and we've determined that, well, if we reduce our emissions and, or, or, or we've, that's our hypothesis anyway. I mean, it is a hypothesis, right? Um, I think in the scientific sense, um, if we reduce, if we as humans reduce our emissions, it will have the effect of uh, slowing the warming or, you know, whatever, whatever effect we're trying to get in terms of the climate, that's what's going to happen. Um, and the only question is like, how long will it take? And so, um, it's, a, but, but I don't see anything in these methodologies and everything that says, so I see lots of measuring and monitoring and accountability relative to the emissions reduction and the carbon footprint. But my point was kind of like these ROI studies that never go back to figure out, are you, did you, are you having the desired effect? I don't see anything that says we're having the desired effect. Like, it, like, so two years out, five years out, I don't know, whatever it is, if it's 10 years out, there should be a point where in these, in these frameworks where we say, okay, let's have a look and determine um, if, so we're, so number one, are we reaching our emission reduction goals? And yes, we are. Uh, so let's say I'm saying, let's pretend. Yes, we are. And uh, all right, so we're so we're reaching our goals. Is it? Ha- but that's not the end game. The end game is the climate. So what's happening with the climate? And are we seeing it trend in the right direction? Now, I asked this question: like, is this part of the plan, um, or is this part of the framework? Are you because if you're going to ask CEOs and companies to do this really difficult thing, and and you find out as time goes by that it's not it's having an effect on kind of the 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 proxy goal which is reducing emissions like we're 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 accomplishing that but if you find out that it's not really affecting the real end game which is the climate then maybe you need to change your playbook or maybe maybe you just need to add, stop stop making people do all this really difficult stuff that has no financial benefit for them um, because it's not it's not working now I don't know I don't know if that's going to be the case I'm just saying that in a like if if this were a business plan we would have something in the business plan that says this is what we're going to do this is what we expect to happen and and if what and if what we expect to happen doesn't happen, then we have a plan B, or we have some something else that we do, or we just shut the business down. Whatever it is, you know, you kind of account for the possibility that you don't achieve your goal. And the only and it seemed to me like the only goal that they acknowledge achieving or not achieving is the emission reduction, um, which, as I said, isn't really the real end game. So I, I asked this question, and then I and and I kind of got really puzzled looks, and I said. And then I, I, I said, so is, is there a provision for this, this observation, this, and now here, the truth is, I'm not sure if it's possible. I mean, that's, that's the truth. I don't know if you can, but you got to at least contemplate it. And, um, and they kind of looked at me funny. And, and so then I said, well, I mean, I'm just suggesting that the possibility is that there's a possibility that we achieve our ESG goals um, but it doesn't impact the climate the way we want it to. And boy, that was, when, <laughs> that was when I became a very unpopular person in the room. But the arguments that they, so, so I think like the, what I said was you have to account for the possibility that what you think is going to happen doesn't happen. And, but what they heard was that I was challenging, that I was, that I was questioning whether human emissions are having an impact on the climate which of course I wasn't, 
Um, I wasn't challenging that. Um, all I was saying was it, it's conceivable that we could we could accomplish RSG goals and the climate doesn't really like the trend doesn't reverse. Why? Not because not because what we're doing isn't playing a part, but maybe there are other things that are playing a bigger part. Like maybe there's something going on inside the earth that's driving heat out toward the surface that is having even more of an effect than the thing that we're like, who knows? I don't know. I'm, I'm and I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an armchair scientist when it comes to this, you know, I read a few things that people say. So, um, but, but they, they absolutely refused to accept the notion that, uh, that that could be possible. Like, it's like, well, this is what's called, like, human emissions. <laughs> is that the right way to say it? I'm a human, em- human, <laughs> human emissions. I'm going to stick with human emissions. <laughs> and perhaps cow emissions and other emissions. Um, <laughs> that's the cause. That's the whole cause. And if we change that, then we have, then we will impact the end game. There's no reason to, you know, that that's a given. That's just a given. And I was just suggesting that maybe it's not a given. And here's the part where I want to hear from you folks um, is, is that a legitimate, like, am I being ridiculous? Isn't that a legitimate question? Um, or something that, that, uh, you know, even if, and even if you, um, like leaving out all sort of the polarized viewpoints, even if you take a very balanced view of this whole thing, it seems to me like there should be some accountability to, you know, the, the end game is the climate change, if, if that's what we want, you know, reversing the climate, you know, whatever it is we're trying to cause the climate to not heat up as fast or whatever. But the thing is, like there's a possibility that we do what we're we do what we plan to do we achieve our goals and nothing happens like that's possible right now that's that's the part i want to hear from you on maybe maybe i'm being ridiculous maybe you can tell me michael no of course you know like one one thing directly impacts the other and it has a large enough impact that if we change this we change that like if you turn this dial then that thing moves there's no question about it i i'm I have a hard time believing that because I just think there's too many variables and the problem is too complex for us to be that certain about it. But there are many of you who are uh, smarter than me on this, smarter than I. You are smarter than I am smart. And uh, and perhaps you can, and I'm, I, I'd really love to hear uh, different viewpoints on this. I, I love to hear the viewpoints that agree with me naturally, but but if you can uh, if you can educate me in some way and show me where I'm missing it, uh, I'd love to hear from you. And you know what? Maybe even get you on the podcast and we could talk about it. We gotta we gotta keep it in the context of technology because it's the only guys tech show. But this real, there is a technology component on this, right? Because there's huge amounts of money and effort going into the technology to support these ESG. Not just like I said, not the decarbonization itself, but, you know, and the technology to, you know, carbon capture, that's another big one. Right. But, but just the, just for, just, just to, to try to, um, um, to try to track it and report it. Like there's a big technology investment there. Um, you know, and you start getting into scope one and scope two and scope three and everybody's trying to, you get, it's, it's very difficult. This is my point. So, it's dry. So it's, it's great for a lot of tech companies right now. Uh, you're selling a lot of stuff. Uh, there's money flowing into the budgets. Um, everybody, you know, you know, Gartner's got their magic quadrants, but, um, so there's a tech implication, but I would love to know your thoughts on this. So send me an email, Michael at OGGN.com. And that folks, 
Um, I think I think that's going to wrap it up for today. You probably heard me. Um, you've probably been listening long enough and, and maybe you're not still listening in which case, in which case I hope you're enjoying whatever it else it is that you are doing, but fear not because next, uh, next week I will have a guest. And in fact, I'm going to give you a little preview. Now I, I shouldn't say this because I'm going to jinx it, but, um, but let me just make sure here. Yeah. So next week. Next week, you should be listening, actually, or watching, watching, there's no H in there, why did I say that? Or watching, watching me on the video, On the, you can also, this one not, no, I didn't do this on a video, because there's no point in you just watching me talking to the microphone, so this one's audio only, folks, but always remember, when I got a guest, check those show notes for the video link to our YouTube channel, and uh, assuming you're not you know, driving a bus or climbing up a ladder while you're listening to the podcast, uh, you can, you know, so you can flip over to the video version on uh, YouTube. But uh, so, so that'll be next time. And you will get to hear me talk with Ryan Sitton, 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 Sitton on the dock of the bay, Ryan Sitton. He, um, he, Ryan used to be the Texas Railroad Commissioner here in Texas, obviously. Now, for those of you not from Texas, you might be like, well, what's so special about being the Railroad Commissioner? Well, it turns out it's a very, the Railroad Commission is a very powerful organization in terms of, well, it has a lot of, wields a lot of responsibility. Um, it, it's not just about railroads. It's about a lot of things, including oil and gas. Um, Ryan, uh, then later he went on to, uh, to start a company called Pinnacle. I think it's Pinnacle Energy or Pinnacle Technologies. Anyway, Ryan's a fantastic guy, uh, has done a lot of interesting things, has some great perspectives. And so he's going to be on the show next week. And uh, that's it for today, folks. Thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, make sure you tell your friends about it. Um, you know, occasionally you could go out there and give me a little review, a couple of little five-star bumps, something like that. That would be nice. Uh, but, uh, you know, or if you don't, it's fine. I'm just happy that you're listening. So thanks for that. And thanks to the OGDN crew, uh, most especially my audio fixer guy, Mr. Mac Roman. And remember, um, yeah, you know what? I'm going to ask for feedback on this. Is it time to change the, the little the, the end line, the tagline at the end? You know, uh, is it, do you want me to keep... It, it gets to be difficult to find new ways to flow into that tagline without getting repetitive um but if you like it i'll stick with it uh otherwise uh, tell me eh, it's time to come up with something new um but for the moment what we have is as uh, the tried and true we were tack before attack was cool check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of oil and gas tech podcast a production of the oil and gas global network learn more at ogdn.com 